You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to this week's edition of The Insiders, your usual cast with one alarming exception. I'm Tim Fitzgerald. That's Brian Hanley, our football analyst, one of our football analysts at Go Powercat. Below me is Glenn Kenley. He's not below anyone. He's <laughs> he's he's above all of us. And uh, Tim Everson called in sick to school. Um, and so uh, Ryan Gilbert, who is literally half the man of Tim Everson, is sitting in. I mean, literally. Hey, I kind of uh, like being the only guy on the on the show with hair. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> plus you need to be careful who you're hanging out with now. Right now, the insiders is three Go Powercat guys and Glenn. <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm the outsider on the insiders. That's <laughs> hey, we could we could just rename this three G's and Glenn. Uh, there we go. Okay, boys, let's dig in here. Brian Hanley, what are your immediate thoughts after Kansas State's forty-one to three thrashing of TCU, a game which, by the way, kind of reminded me of Oklahoma State last year, in which K State just could do. No wrong. Yeah, I thought there were a, a lot of good things. I mean, I didn't really see, to be honest, I didn't see that many bad things coming out of this game. I mean, I know that people are going to say, oh, you got your, your purple colored glasses on. I go, but you know me, I look at it objectively. I mean, where did you find the problems? I just, I just didn't see anything. I think the one place that uh, I think needs to get more praise, everybody loves offense, I thought the defense was outstanding. Yeah, I, I just thought the defense was phenomenal. Um, again, everybody loves offense. Everybody loves numbers. And the offense did play great. I just thought the defense was better. I, I really did. Glenn, thoughts? Go. Yeah, they, they were really good. And the whole two-quarterback thing, I mean, I don't know. Is it going to work? Is it long-term? I, You'd be silly to – I'm sure we'll do it more, but it worked on Saturday. That, yep. That's what I said in my post-game recap for our show. I said – is it sustainable? I don't know. Did it work? You bet it did. They they both looked really good. They didn't really probably work towards much of a conclusion as far as who is our starting quarterback because they were both so good. I said on the show a week ago that TCU's defense might be so bad that Will Howard looks great and Avery Johnson looks great and we still don't know who the starter is, and that's exactly what happened. Yep. Uh, Jace Brown looked really good at receiver, but Brian, like you said, the defense was phenomenal. TCU is yeah. not a great team, but their offense is pretty good. And you're talking about mm -hmm. the quarterback who won Big 12 Offensive Player of the Week last week. Even when Avery Johnson ran for five touchdowns, he threw for, I don't know, 500 yards, completed 39 passes or something, and they never found the end zone. That defense nope. was really, really good. They even got the stand with the backups on the field at the end of yes. the game when TCU went full Eli Drinkwitz mode on us. Uh, but, yeah, the defense was outstanding, and and uh, it was fun to watch Avery and Will just kind of trade off and, and keep driving down the field. Gills, it was impressive, wasn't it? So this is my time to shine here on the inside. Yeah, this is it. This is when you talk, yeah. yes. yes. <laughs> yeah, good stuff, Brian and Glenn. I mean, all three phases, defense, offense, and, of course, special teams that had been kind of a question mark for this team 
kind of some shaky games. You look at the UCF game, Chris Tennant was missing some kicks. Now his confidence back high. There were no penalties on special teams in this game. It feels like that was the first time in a few games that that has happened. And so all three cylinders were clicking for Kansas State in this game. Glenn, you mentioned Jace Brown. I've been pessimistic on the wideouts all year long. I'm sure you guys probably have been too, but if K-State can get a reliable pass catcher there with Jace Brown as a true freshman, mm-hmm. that's going to really open the door for Avery Johnson, Will Howard, whoever's playing quarterback, uh, to just have a reliable pass catcher that, you know, you saw that throw that Avery Johnson had to him. He just dropped it in the bucket, and that's just repetitions that they've had in practice as the twos. And so, of course, so many great things to talk about with this game, but I'm excited for Jace Brown. We'll get to all those newcomers in a little bit, but Brian, the defense, uh, I mm. my – my hat goes off to Jake Clifton, who got thrown in at middle linebacker. Yep. He's more of an edge linebacker, but he played outstanding for a guy who's, you know, uh, that's not his norm. Although he can play all three positions. I asked him after the game uh, if he has a favorite. And he said, no, I just like playing. I just want to be out there. Uh, and, you know, but he gets his first career start at middle linebacker. I thought the defense was absolutely incredible throughout this game. They they just kept uh they kept pressure up. They they didn't ever relent and let TCU have very many big plays. Yeah, and you know it's funny that you brought brought up pressure. Is like they were bringing it on different downs. Like a lot of people people think, oh well, you got to blitz on third down and cert- It would be first down. It would be second right. and short or second and long. And, and a lot of times, I think that second and long is a great down to bring pressure. You know, so. In case somebody, well, we just want a five-yard route to get closer on third down. No, 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 no. We're not going to give you this five-yard route or or anything. So I just thought all game long they kept their foot down, didn't give them the explosive plays, which has been an Achilles heel of K-State, giving up some explosive plays. They didn't do that. They had the one long run up the middle. But other than that, TCU didn't get anything. They just completely shut them down. Uh, I was proud of the defense, man. Glenn, you mentioned Josh Hoover, their quarterback, 23 of 43 for 187 yards. His long completion was 16 yards. So they did a really good job of keeping everything in front of them and not letting them get that big play that might change the course of the game. Yeah, K-State was just phenomenal on defense. You mentioned Jake Clifton. He was really good. Climbing said after the game, he feels like he doesn't get enough credit. Um, another guy who was really good was Desmond Purnell, the Topeka kid. He had a sack early that kind of set the tone for the mm-hmm. game. And then he had an interception uh, later that was, of course, the game probably was out of reach by that point, but it certainly didn't hurt anything. He was really solid. I just thought that defense was impressive as a whole. And I think we got to give credit where it's due to Joe Klanderman. We, we, we were kind of, and Colin Klein for that matter, we were kind of critical after the Oklahoma State game and just, just honest. Let's, we were just honest. Yeah. But they had a great game plan and and coming up with a game plan for two quarterbacks is not easy on offense and coming up with a game plan to stop a quarterback who only has started one game all year is not easy for coach Klanderman and that defense. And you would have never known that they only had one game's tape on him because uh, they, they shut him down. They got pressure on him. Uh, The, even the defensive backs, a group that we probably worried about a little bit had some great plays. Jacob Parrish, I thought was really solid actually. Um, Marquis Siegel made a couple plays. We've gotten used to maybe seeing him make a few good plays each week. Um, but yeah, that linebacker core that we know is down and without their probably their best linebacker in Daniel Green has turned into kind of a in this defense. Right, Gilbert, they came to play. Um, and two weeks after, two weeks removed from that Oklahoma State debacle, 
to get your feet under you at Texas Tech and then to find that next year. This was their best game of the season, wasn't it? Yeah, that Oklahoma State game certainly had to have been the low point of the season where nothing seemed to be working. They try to limit the explosive plays, and then they get dinked and dunked on all day long by Oklahoma State, who doesn't even have a quarterback, it seems like. And so that was definitely the low point, and now the confidence is has got to be high. It, it seems like they've just found that right formula on defense, and I think they've gotten better. They've navigated the injuries. You know, losing Daniel Green was huge, but I think his loss maybe isn't as big as it once seemed just because of the way that that the linebackers have stepped up there with, with young guys and experienced guys. So the, I don't know. I'm sure they've, they've changed stuff. You know, Daniel Green was a huge blitzer. So to not have him in the backfield a ton hurts, but they've, they've found a way they found that right formula between, you know, balancing out the limiting the big plays, but also being aggressive, right? They've, they've found a way to, to get both and, and not just have it be, you know, one way or another, right? You can have those big plays um, and be aggressive, but you're going to give up the big plays if you're going after the quarterback and, and vice versa. So they found that formula for sure. Tim, they, uh, excuse me, uh, Brian, they used two you're quarterbacks. Tim. I'm Tim. Tim's not, the other Tim's not here. I don't know who I'm talking to. You call me Tim if you want. It's okay. Okay. I, I don't want to do that because then people will confuse us because we look a lot alike. Uh, Brian, um, the two quarterback system worked. It It's not yeah. supposed to work. But it usually when you do a two-quarterback system, it means they both stink. You're hoping that one of them plays good. But in this case, they're both really pretty good quarterbacks, yeah. and they both played well. And it, as Chris Kleiman mentioned after the game, it kept TCU on their heels the whole game. They they did, couldn't adjust because then they had a new quarterback to face the next possession. Yeah. I, I mean, both of them played well. Look, I, I just I, – a lot of fans were nervous about it. I was nervous about it. I kind of had a feeling that Will would get the start because I thought he earned it. Yeah. Turns out, technically, they both got the start. <laughs> Which uh, was hilarious. <laughs> and just That was comedic genius by Chris Kleiman. Yeah, Kleiner it was. Yeah, absolutely <laughs> was. Not only that, to hand the ball to Avery on the mm -hmm. first play of the game, I'm thinking, you know what? Good for him, coach. You don't even want to have to mess or hear a bunch of nonsense. Good no. for him. But the bottom line is they both played well. Um they didn't blow you away with passing numbers, but you know what they did? They ran the offense the way the offense needed to be run. And again, I, I, I'm going to go back to this. I know, Brian, you're an old offensive lineman, yada, yada. The offensive lineman dominated the football yeah. game again. And, and I told you guys, every week, if they are not playing well, I will be the first person to say it. But when they are playing well, I'm going to give them all the praise in the world and they, I mean, physically, just absolutely dominated the line of scrimmage. Again, five, six, seven yards down the field, you see guys still engaged, still engaged, receivers still engaged. It's the only way that you get those long running plays. It's the only way you get quarterbacks out there running eight, nine yards down the field is when guys are latched on, running their feet, you know, cutting off backside, say, I just saw the time, where our receiver's running all the way across the field to try to cut off the backside safety. I'm like, when guys are doing that, number one, that means they're working their tail off in practice. And number two, that means that they are really, really engaged. So hats off not only to the offensive line, but the coaching staff for getting the guys ready to play. I thought both quarterbacks played well. They did. Uh, but the offensive linemen, I think, were the star mm -hmm. of the football game again. Glenn, I, I've been really critical of Carver Willis. 
I'm not I'm not critical anymore. He played a whale of a game. He was in at that right tackle spot uh through those best times of the offense. It was impressive how far he's advanced in this season of getting some opportunity here, but Brian's right. They it, you win the offensive line battle the way wow. they did. Uh and you have quarterbacks play the way K-State's did and a defense mm-hmm. playing that well. You're going to win 41 to 3. In fact, as I said in the tweet after the game, it really wasn't that close. I mean, this was a mismatch. No. Yeah, no, the, the, second, the second half, K-State, I, I don't want to say got conservative, but the game was over and they ran right. the ball a lot. And, and and Brian, you mentioned the, the quarterback numbers weren't crazy, but correct me if I'm wrong, I think it was maybe 244 total, yep. which if you had one quarterback playing, you're saying, hey, he had a pretty good day through for 244. Absolutely. You factor in that K-State didn't really throw the ball their last two or three drives. No. Um, that number could have been well over 300 combined. Uh, again, neither of them looked like crazy numbers because they were splitting them, but – uh, they did have some passes. I think uh, it was a great game plan by Colin Klein to say, okay, the defense is going to think Will's in. That means they're throwing. Will takes off for I don't know how long of a run on that first yeah. drive. And then Avery's in. That means they're running. Avery threw a couple dimes to Jace yep. Brown down the sideline. Neither of them were touchdown passes, but in my opinion, those were the two best passes of the day by far. Those were on the money. And uh, I think, and Chris Kleiman summed up after the game, it, I'm stating the obvious from what we saw, but people thought they had a running quarterback and a throwing quarterback. They got two guys that can do both. And um, now, obviously, Avery might be the better runner, but that Will can still take off and run. And don't think that because Avery is the runner, runner that he can't uh, put it 50 yards down the field because he's got a great arm. And he showed on Saturday his accuracy was just on point. Ryan Gilbert plot twist will howard looked like the better runner and avery johnson was delivering some passes that were really hard to believe uh glenn's right these both of these dudes can play they've got a great quarterback situation i know will howard probably wants to take all the snaps i mean why wouldn't you everyone would um but he's he's realizing i think that avery johnson can bring something to the field i i'm anxious to see uh, interested to see how they peel this onion back and how much they expose and and put out there against Houston before they go to Texas. Uh, I think they've got a bunch of stuff they can do with the two quarterback system that they're going to hold back on. Yeah, and there was the first snap of the game, right? Both quarterbacks were in, and that was it. We never saw them on the field together at the same time uh, after that first play. And so certainly, maybe not against Houston, but against Texas, that might be something that you roll out there to try to throw that defense off guard. It certainly would work, even if Howard or, or Johnson, whoever's not the quarterback, whoever's lined up outside, they can just be a decoy, you know, get them involved in a jet sweep, trick plays. There's so much stuff that you can do with those two quarterbacks. And Fitz, we've learned that that Chris Kleiman's a pretty honest man, right? He called Will Howard the best backup in the country going into last year. And we're all like, ah, yeah, whatever. I mean, he was probably up there. He might have been number one. And then, you know, throughout this week, last week, he said, yeah, I've got trust in Avery Johnson and not only run the football, but throw it as well. And I'm thinking, yeah, when we see Avery, he's just going to be that runner. No, he can throw. He can run. Same thing goes for Will. We know about his abilities to do both. And so when Climate says something, I guess he means it, right? Yep. Yeah. A lot of times it feels like coach speak at first and then it happens and you're like, oh, he wasn't just being vague with the quarterback room. They just actually plan to use them both. And that's that's exactly what happened. And it's just – it is interesting to see how it played out. I'll also be interested to see – they alternated drives. And like you mentioned, Ryan, we didn't see them on the field at the same time. So do we see them continue to alternate drives? Or is it Avery for this third down, then Will for the next four snaps, 
and then Avery for two snaps? Or is it still just a momentum thing of we don't want him to be running it on and off each play? I don't know what the answer to that is, but I'll be interested to see what we see this weekend. And I agree with you, Fitz, especially if K-State can get an early lead. I don't know that we'll see much. We might we might see something similar to last weekend. And then against Texas, they're going to pull right. out all the stops. I don't think they both – I don't even think the plan was to go back and forth, back and forth. I think just because the way that the game ended up playing out is because, okay, we go mm-hmm. down and score. Okay, we stop them. Then we go down and score. Okay, we stop them. Then we go down and score. I think, okay, well, this game's getting out of hand. We're just going to continue to do this. I think they had a plan – of, okay, let's see how this plays out. We're going to do this. But once the game got out of hand, they just stuck with it and just said, okay, uh, this is it. This is all we're going to do. There's no reason to to do anything other than this because we've got this one, you know, in hand. So I, I think you're right, Glenn. I think there, there might be a time to where, okay, we're going to go with the hot hand. And I think that's what they probably planned and intended on doing. Mm-hmm. It just turned out that they both had hot hands and TCU put up – little to no resistance and we were just rolled over them and that's just the way it turned and turned out and played out it was uh it was impressive i think you're right i think their their thought is whoever warms up we're going to leave them out there and in a way that worked out to be will howard because he did have the better game statistically at least uh just the way the game played out he had the first possession in the last possession of the game and uh tcu did a great job running out the clock uh at the end of the game and not scoring uh, so it did work out. Will got a little more playing time, but um, I I think they'll try to do the same thing this week. As Brian said, I think uh, Ryan Gilbert, I think they'll just try to rotate these guys, feel out who's fitting best against this Houston defense and, and roll with it. But I think this too might be a blowout if they get to crank it. What I like about it, Ryan, is they, they've developed this kind of, friendly rivalry now with these two quarterbacks and you know who's going to have the most productive series and it's really paying off for big time for this offense absolutely yeah I mean Brian mentioned it just with those two quarterbacks who I mean Houston with all due respect there's certainly going to be a plan in place for if this game is close to to bring out the all the stops and your best plays in the playbook but I'm not so sure if we don't just see more of a vanilla game plan especially in the second half if this does turn into a blowout or a comfortable lead for Kansas state. So yeah, I think you've got some stuff up your sleeve, but like Brian mentioned, you score and you get a stop, you score, you get a stop. It's like, okay, (laughs) we don't want to put too much on tape. There's already some, some stuff out there, but there's still that intrigue, you know, that mystery factor with Johnson. Okay. What can this guy do? And, and that's probably, that's another encouraging part of this game, right? You look at Hoover for TCU, an amazing game against Mm -hmm. BYU. And then that stuff's on tape. And he gets shut down three yep. points on offense. Avery Johnson, that stuff's on tape. I think he struggled maybe a little bit more against TCU than he did against Texas Tech. I think he got tackled more. He got touched more, right? It wasn't just him running around the field left and right. He didn't score five touchdowns, right? He came back down to earth, but he still had a really good game. Whereas TCU's freshman quarterback, you know, he came back down to earth and he came crashing down. Yeah. Glad we saw some new stars emerge in this game. You mentioned Jace Brown, <clears throat> true freshman receiver, stepped on the field and was really effective. He was kind of the go-to guy. In fact, he had the the second most targets on the team and the most receptions, targeted seven times, had four yeah. catches for 88 yards. Um, this kid came along at the right time, didn't he? Oh, man, he looked he looked good. He, he, 
he brought down some catches. These weren't just he was wide open and he and he grabbed it. He brought down some impressive catches. Uh, I think he brought a spark and, and an energy. If you look at K State's depth chart that came out today, he is listed as a starter on that depth chart, which I don't think he has been before. He's either been listed as an or or maybe in that two spot, but he's listed as a starter and he certainly earned it. True freshman that just. Um, similar to true freshman Avery Johnson, just plays with confidence. Uh, he's really quick. And the beauty of it, with, with the connection between him and, a- and Avery, and this isn't to say that it couldn't go for Will as well, but with him and Avery is, okay, let's say that the defense was preparing for Avery to run. And let's say that you're going to say, all right, well, he hit Jays on the deep ball a few times, but that's only because the defense was only ready for him to run. Okay, let the defense drop back then and say, we're going to stop Jason, we're going to stop Phil, and we're going to stop Sinnott. Exactly. And he's going to run again. So exactly. it's a lose-lose if you're trying to stop Avery Johnson, and especially now that he has a guy like Jace Brown. You want to come up and stop my run? Great. I'm going to hit Jace deep. You want to drop back and stop Jace or or my other receivers? All right, I'm 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 getting 15 on the ground then. Yep. And once he starts figuring out <clears throat> that simple read and what they're doing, uh, he's going to be really dangerous. Brian, the, the most – uh, that look, that catch by Jace Brown, the 43-yarder, was amazing. I mean, it was an incredible throw, incredible catch. But the best part of that was here's a true freshman receiver going down the sideline, absolutely hand-fighting the entire time with a cornerback, yep. fighting him off and freeing up to make the catch. Dude's a freshman. Yeah. Uh, he was not intimidated by the environment one bit. He wasn't intimidated. And even the best part about that is you see it in the NFL, and, and people talk about it all the time, not giving your quarterback enough room on the sideline to get you the ball. He left enough room on the sideline yep. for the quarterback to drop him the ball, fighting all the way down the field. Look, it, it's just he looked like a, what a Division One receiver needs to look like. And I think that's been kind of our problem in here uh, talking about, and a lot of people's problem is that K State hasn't had a guy this year that has looked what a, a real Division One guy should look like and play like, and he did that, and it gives us another opportunity, another weapon out there to go to exploit what another defense is doing. And if the other guys can just come along, I'm telling you, we we've got something here. It's just you got to take that next step. And maybe this lights a fire under other everybody else and say, okay, if he can do it as a true freshman, you know what? Maybe I can do it too. Because maybe it's a confidence thing. I don't know. I know the guys have the ability. I really do. Uh, but I do love what I saw out of Jace Brown. The guy came in, wasn't scared. And I think that's a lot of it. When you're a true freshman, you know, uh, and even sometimes it's, I don't know enough to be scared. And maybe that's what it is too. Too bad, so sad. Oh, well, that's good for us. Yeah, and Brian, you beat me too. I was just going to say, I hope this can serve as as a spark plug kind of for the rest of that receiver room. And, and yeah. I give credit to that, to the offensive staff. Um, we've talked about sometimes maybe Chris Kleiman's loyalty to a fault of he wants to ride with his guys that have been loyal to him. The wide receiver room wasn't working, and all the talk preseason was Keegan Johnson, RJ Garcia, and he said, I'm going to put the true freshman out there. And he and he got the right guy out there too. And you'll notice Trace Spivey is listed as an or on the depth mm-hmm. chart with some of those other guys. He he said the receiver room isn't working. And instead of saying what can we do to let me put somebody else out there, and, and yeah. it worked. And I wonder if that can be uh, I don't want to say a wake up call, but like you said, a a spark plug or something to get those other guys going to say, okay, I got to take my game to the next level, or I'm not going to see the field. Right, Gilbert. There were five receptions by tight ends. 
three different tight ends, and Ben Sennett had the least receptions. <laughs> ben got injured a little bit in the game. We don't think it's too serious. We'll hopefully find out more tomorrow from Coach Kleiman. Uh, but the other guys had two apiece. Will Swanson, of course, had his first touchdown. Um, just throw it a little further next time, Will, just a little bit further to take the questions out. And Garrett Oakley with uh, – oh, excuse me. He held at two targets. He only had one reception also. I lied. But I think the tight end room is is finding its feet beyond Ben Sennett, and I think yeah. that's really good because they've got the best one in the country, and if they don't want to um, kind of give the same attention to the other guys, they're capable of stepping up and making plays. Yeah, if Ben Sennett can't go on Saturday, you hope he can, obviously, but if he can't, uh, to have other guys step in, that, that's got to be huge. And, you know, Will Howard and and, and, and Swanson were going to have some issues if that pass was just an inch shorter of the goal line. <laughs> and he didn't pick up his first career touchdown. But, yeah, I mean, that's huge. And you got that connection with Bennett and Howard, uh, Ben Sennett and Will Howard, excuse me. But if Sennett can't go, maybe you put, you know, Avery in there. I'm sure he's got a good connection with those those younger players as well, right? And, Glenn, you mentioned something here with, with Will Howard, I don't want to say that he's necessarily played better, um, you know, but with relation to him being more conservative with the football, he's got no interceptions. He only has 25 attempts the last two games, but maybe this was a wake-up call for him to say, okay, my job's in jeopardy now. Uh, I got to play a little bit better, be more careful with the football. So that, and this brings me to my point here with, with Jace Brown, if I'm Keegan Johnson, I'm saying, okay, I got to step up now, right? My job is in danger here. I got a freshman coming in here outperforming me and my whole season's been, you know, not as good as people wanted it to be. And, you know, you've got leaders on the team, Phillip Brooks being in the wrong place at times this season, you know, Jace Brown coming in maybe as an off game next week, but that, that opens up the door for a guy like Phillip Brooks or Garcia Johnson, any of those wideouts to, to have a big game and, and say, Hey, okay, I've got to be better. You, you know, I just got outplayed by a, a freshman. I'm one of the leaders of this wideout group. I, I got to be better. And so you think that tight end group fits? Yes. Is becoming maybe more consistent. Next up is, is 100% the wideouts. Yeah. Because Jace Brown had a good game, but guys, correct me if I'm wrong, two K state wide receivers caught passes. It was Jace Brown yeah. and Phil Brooks. That, that's that's unusual. You typically think that number's going to be four or five. And now they got the ball to Keegan and, and Jaden, I think, on a, on a handoff or something on a jet sweep. But um, guys are going to have to step up. On the quarterback situation, I think when I think two quarterback, I think of guys going out and playing scared and playing, you know, with pressure of I got to make a play or I'm not getting the next drive or the next snap. If it's handled correctly, I wonder if it can almost be the opposite. I think, Fitz, you called it a, a fun rivalry of if, if it can be – all right, I'm going to go ball out, and he's going to go ball out, and it's like a good pressure instead of a nervous, I don't want to mess up pressure, a, yeah. hey, let me let me make a play, and then this let this guy make a play, and we can laugh about it afterwards, you know, like, oh, man, that pass you had was pretty sweet. No, dude, the one that you threw to Jace was even better, you know, stuff like that. So I think they're handling it right, and I don't know. I, don't, I wish I had an answer. I don't know what they're going to do if it goes as well as it did against Houston. What do you do in Austin? I do you ride it if it's working, or do I don't know. I I have no idea. I thought they were setting this up to get Avery ready to play in Austin full time, but Will Howard said, "Hold on, I got hey, something right. to say here." With four touchdown passes, <clears throat> I was proud of Will. There's every reason in the world for him to be pissy and upset, um, and he probably is. He's trying not to show it, 
because he is the guy that earned the spot on the field. Uh, and now it's seeing it slip through his fingers. But at the end of the day, Will knows how talented Avery right. is. He knows this is legit. Um, but it's it, it was fun to watch. Those two dudes can really play. And we always talk about you know trying to keep a running back or someone else fresh on the field. We never talk about a quarterback. And I think there was something to be said about that. They were uh, you you're trying to balance keeping them in a groove with uh, you know being fresh. But uh, yeah. I thought they both played pretty well. Although Avery had less success in the second half. But before we wrap this up, Brian, was that a really good game for Avery in the fact that TCU did challenge him? They did take away his comfort zone and made him do other things. And now he understands I got to really read what the defense is trying to do to me so that, you know, pre-snap I can be prepared for it better. Yeah, I think so. TCU is a lot faster than Texas Tech on defense. So, you know, a lot of stuff side to side stuff or things that when he was trying to bounce out, they were there. He wasn't getting away from guys, which is good for him to see is like, Hey, you can't just run away from every guy, you know, in, in this league, right. you're not going to be able to do that. Sometimes you just got to run and get the one yard and get what you get. It is what it is uh, or make a different read or something of that nature. So yeah, I thought it was a great game for him, maybe not statistically wise, but it was a great game for him to understand and to learn, mm-hmm. you know what? It, it's everybody, it's not going to come just this easy. I'm not going to score five touchdowns every week, which I'm sure he knows. I mean, the kid's a smart kid, but at the same time, it's good to go through a little pitfalls. And I'm not saying what he did was a failure because he didn't fail at all on Saturday. Not at all. What I'm saying is, Everything just doesn't come easy, and it wasn't easy, and that's okay. Matter of fact, it's better than okay for him to learn, okay, I got to do this. Okay, you know what? This doesn't work in this situation. You know, I thought it was a great game for him. It was a great game for his development is what it was. Yes. Going through those trials is just necessary. Absolutely. You're watching The Insiders from GoPowerCat.com. Tim Everson is off today taking care of his health. Uh, Ryan Gilbert is sitting in, and on the other side of this break, we'll talk about the Big 12. We'll take some of your questions from the chat. As we continue, the insiders stick with us through this very short break if you're watching live. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The farmer's dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. Okay, let's take a look around the Big 12 now, guys. Um, It was an interesting week in the fact that Oklahoma and Texas had games against newcomers, games against teams they should have whooped. Oklahoma hangs on in Norman to beat UCF 31-29. And Texas kind of rallies, gets up off the mat to win, beat Houston. The referees helped them. I thought the referees were out to get Texas uh, 31-24. But, Glenn, uh, this – this kind of sends an alert here that maybe there isn't this huge disparity between mm-hmm. the top two and the other 12, as some people have been wanting to say. Yeah, I think we learned that they're beatable, right? I yeah. mean, that that what we saw last weekend probably gives Kansas fans hope for uh, the Sooners in town this weekend, and it probably gives Kansas State fans hope for a trip to Austin next weekend. Uh, I'm not saying you're going to get by me. I'm not saying that they're not maybe still the two best teams in the conference. 
but they're not invincible. I think some of the thought or the narrative was just, okay, it's one, two, everybody else, right? Yeah. And and there are there are some not good teams in the Big Twelve this year. But what we learned is it's not one, two, and then everybody else not good. It's it's there's a I think there's a bunch of teams actually uh, towards the top. Oklahoma State wins again. I uh, don't know what's going on there, but um, yeah, I think we we found out that they're they're beatable if you catch them on the, on the right day. Now we're gonna find out. Okay, was this a a trial that sends sends say Oklahoma or Texas into a spiral, and then they were they almost blew it last weekend. And they blew, and then they blow it this weekend or next, or was this a wake up call of, oh, we're we're not going to roll over all these Big Twelve teams, we better lock it in, and maybe they look really good this weekend. That's also a possibility. Baylor wins at Cincinnati. Uh, BYU handles business in Provo against Tech, uh, and Oklahoma State, as Glenn mentioned, wins at West Virginia <clears throat> as they continue to roll. Brian, we're kind of at the halfway mark or getting there of our Big Twelve season. We're not even there. Um, of a nine-game schedule, this could get really entertaining really quick, particularly particularly if Kansas can beat Oklahoma this upcoming weekend in Lawrence. It's, it's going to be a blast coming down the stretch. It really will. Well, what I always say is bring on the chaos. <laughs> I love the chaos in college football, and it looks like it is just about to get started. Um, but that would be, I mean, if KU can pull off the upset and beat OU, then that OU Oklahoma State game becomes gigantic. Um, it looks like the K State, if, if Oklahoma State keeps playing the way they're playing, that the K State loss to them isn't awful like we all thought, right. you know, it was at the time. Turns out, you know, if they keep winning, maybe it wasn't so bad after all. Um, I don't know. I think we we jumped off the bandwagon of the conference early on. I'm still not sure how great it is, but I definitely don't think it's as bad now looking from the outside in. We're about a month later. It's not as bad as what we thought it was. I think it was just, oh, my goodness, I can't believe what's going on at the beginning of the year. It turns out hey, maybe some teams just needed a, a minute to get their footing. Gilbert, you got to come every weekend in this conference. I mean, you can't be messing around. It's like Oklahoma looked like, hey, we're smarter than everyone else. We're better than everyone else. We can beat UCF without doing the whole run game thing. And at the start of the fourth mm. quarter, they said, we got to run the ball. <laughs> we, that, it, it was the, Turns out the thing that worked for everybody else might yeah. also work for us. Unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, unreal. I still I haven't <laughs> watched the full Texas Houston game. I I don't know what how that happened. I they were down twenty one nothing, and all of a sudden Houston's back in it. But uh, it, Brian's right, Gilbert. Chaos reigns in this conference, and I love it. Just from a global perspective, in the Big Twelve, over the last few minutes, I've been sitting here, and we've talked about K State. Okay, if the Wildcats win on the road at Texas, the tiebreakers with Oklahoma and this and that. I don't think this is a must-win game for K-State, assuming they pick up a win over Houston, just because of the the way that this team is playing, right? I have faith that even if K-State loses to Texas, they can still run the table. But also Texas, OU, those two teams, are they're beatable, right? Especially after what we've we've seen recently from these two teams, right? So it, it obviously you want to win that game, of course, but if K-State does lose to Texas, I really don't think that that's going to be the end of the world. They're still going to be a chance that there's a path to that that Big 12 championship game at Arlington, even if K-State loses to Texas. Now, obviously, you've got to be perfect after that. 
and I get it, but Oklahoma State, man, looking good right now, but early on in the year, it was just awful. So how much, you know, trust can you really put in that team? Iowa State only has one loss, but that schedule gets really tough for them moving forward. So just with regard, though, to to OU in Texas, I think those teams are beatable, and you don't necessarily have to be the one to beat them if you're K-State. Well, it could get interesting. You know, we, we're talking about this K-State-Houston game, like K-State's just going to roll. But that that's a mistake everyone makes. He, Absolutely. He, I mean, you just can't. You can't. We thought th- we thought the same thing about Stillwater, right? So right, I, I, I absolutely thought K State would roll in that game and double digit favorites. Work out that way. Yeah. Hopefully the hopefully the guys in the locker room pay a little bit more attention to them than the guys on the insiders here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, if, hey, if the football team's gathered watching this, we we appreciate. But we'd also appreciate it if you didn't gather as a group. You all went home to your own computer, so we had hey, more, there we go. more views. That's like and, right. Like and subscribe. Yeah, like and subscribe. And speaking of which, hit the thumbs up if you're enjoying the video. Uh, it's going to be a really interesting two weeks in the conference, though. Uh, you, you get beyond that that game with uh, OU going to KU. We don't know Jalen Daniels' situation. Uh, if he plays, I, I really like their chances. I just think Oklahoma hasn't been tested outside of Texas. They got riled up for Texas, and they've played no one else, and they almost lost still. So I, I still think we're going to find out a lot about them. They they go to Kansas, and then they go to Stillwater in back-to-back weeks. Uh, that's a pretty good test for them. And, of course, you know Texas has K-State coming up in two weeks. In two weeks, is going to be a fun day of football in, in the Big mm-hmm. 12. But uh, And has there ever been a game that Mike Gundy will have his guys up for more than that last Big 12 meeting? with the Oklahoma Sooners. I mean, Gundy's been pretty vocal about how he feels about their decision to leave the conference and that he doesn't even want to play them in the future and all that stuff. He will have his guys. He's had his guys ready to go the last few weeks. They will be ready to run through several brick walls uh, when they meet up with Oklahoma, especially if if the Cowboys win the week before that and go into that still um, looking really good. Yes, indeed. Let's get to some questions here. Our our friend uh, K Ned, uh, Brian, did you like the physicality of both line sides of the line of scrimmage? Because it was obvious K State won the line of scrimmage. Absolutely loved it. Just I mean, offense, defensive line, they controlled everything that was going on. You know, and if you're going to do that, you know, which is the exact opposite of what they did against Oklahoma State, and that's why we were so frustrated is because we knew that they could do it. Now it turns out. Oklahoma State, I mean, I don't know how good their offensive line is. I know their running back just ran for a million yards on Saturday. So, you know, but the bottom line is K-State dominated the the line of scrimmage again uh, on offense. Defense controlled everything. If we're going to continue to do that and push guys around and not get pushed around, I like our chances. Yep, I do too. Um, Boy, I tell you what, someone someone asked a question here. I can't find it right now about – Glenn, the pressure they put on the uh, TCU quarterback, was that something – was that a freshman quarterback panicking or something Case they did? I just thought the coverage was so good he just didn't have obvious targets and and the pressure got to him. I mean, they, I thought the defensive line came to play. Yeah, the defensive line was good, but like you said, the, the defensive backs were good, and that yeah. helps. Um, and, and then it was a by-committee type of deal. I think Brent, maybe Brendan Mott had a tackle for loss. I know, like I mentioned, Desmond Purnell had a sack. Javon Banks had a sack. So it wasn't just, you know, your your Uso, your Nate Matlack. It was a bunch of guys yeah. contributing. I mentioned even late in the game when it was when TCU was trying to get a touchdown just for 
to say they scored a touchdown, they weren't having it. So, yeah, defensively, um, just a bunch of guys across the board who looked really good. It's a good problem to have when you can't pick out what group it was that really had the success because it could have been any of them that contributed. Ron Gilbert, are you ready for a tough question? I'm ready. Are you ready? Matt wants to know why K-State plays like Big 12 chance at home and lethargic at best on the road. How much of that falls on the coaches for preparation? You know what? I'm more of the expert on giving basketball coaches advice, right, rather than the football. <laughs> but yeah, I, it part of it, you know, the environment, man, it makes a difference. I don't know the, the right answer. I'm sure, Brian, I'll maybe defer this over to you as the former player, right? Uh, it, I would say environment, man, that's maybe the biggest thing. Um, I mean, it can be. Uh, I didn't think the guys came out lethargic against Texas Tech, though. Yeah, say they were good in that one. They, yeah. yeah, so they weren't great I, in Stillwater, but they were. That's good right. One. Yeah, I, I, so I, I think, I mean, and I don't think they came out lethargic against Missouri. You know, I, I don't think that was the case at all. It turns out Missouri's a good football team. You know, mm-hmm. so I, I, I don't know. It, there's a difference, obviously, between being at home and being on the road. Clearly, there is. But at the same time, I think the Oklahoma State game was just an outlier, that the guys just weren't ready to play. That's all. And, and it was the entire team wasn't ready to play yeah. from coaches on down. But against Texas Tech, that was the exact opposite. And even at Missouri, that was the exact opposite. They The guys were ready to play. They just lost the football game. You know, they didn't play well, but that doesn't mean that they weren't ready, you know, and came out lethargic. Against Oklahoma State, Yes. So it, can there be a difference as far as where you're at? There can be. Uh, I just don't know that that's necessarily the case with this guy because this guy, these, this team's a pretty mature bunch. And not to not to change the topic from that question, but we've touched on it a little bit. But both of K State's losses are aging very well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oklahoma State all of a sudden looks. We thought they were absolutely awful. They look very competitive, and Missouri is winning a lot of SEC football games. So yeah, uh, that seems to be a theme with K State. It happened last year, right, with Tulane. Um, and it seems like they lose these games, and people panic, and then you're like, oh wait, maybe that team was just good. Yeah, and Missouri yeah. got a big one on Saturday too. They did. They looked impressive. Missouri's good. They got some talent. They, and and I think the biggest thing with Missouri, as we kind of step into a different slot here, but is that, uh, that I feel like they're taking advantage of their playmakers better this year. Yes. I mean, they put Luther Burden on the front burner, and I'd let him go. Yeah, That's right. You got to. <laughs> He's good. Yeah, he really is. Um, we've got some questions. Uh, Glenn, I want to get your, your thoughts on this uh, about how Sonny Dykes handled the game. Post game, he really didn't credit K State too much, um, at if at all. He talked about how bad his team was. He seemed to be so focused on the officiating from the start of that game. Everything was the official's fault. Um, I just, I kind of was put off by his whole thing on Saturday. I don't know what it was. We're kind of getting his first taste, not this week, but this year as a whole of him handling failure right. or or adversity. I mean, the guys, they lost two games last year, and one of them was the Big Twelve Championship game, and one of them was the National Championship game. Um, so w- we didn't really see how he handled losing that much. Um, and so we're getting kind of a taste of that. And I, I mean, he, he's working with a different team. So, um, every coach handles that a little bit differently. I'm not going to say who, right or wrong in handling that. Um, but yeah, it, it is interesting, right. Um, just to see 
I mean, they have a new offensive coordinator, and people weren't crazy about that hire from from what I saw. Um, and he's, then he scores three points on on Saturday in Manhattan. And so, uh, yeah, he, I think he expected – I don't think he expected him to go to the college football playoff again, but he expected him to be really good again. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> I don't know, maybe Dion broke him. That could be a possibility. Week, oh. week one, Dion sent him off the rails. Yeah. I, I just think – I think you're right, Glenn. I think you hit it on the head is that he's getting into the conference. The conference, I mean, he doesn't have a bunch of NFL players on his team mm-hmm. this year. That yeah. makes a difference. And now he's figuring out. I, I, and Fitch, you're right. I, I was put off just by watching on the sidelines. He was whining and complaining the entire football game at the officials. I'm like, your guys are getting beat up physically. That's what's mm-hmm. happening out there. Don't tell me about what the official did or didn't call. And I go, in the press conference, and you're right, I listened to some of it. It was even worse. It's just like, give K-State credit. They just whipped you. That's that's what happened yeah. on the field. You just got whipped. Don't tell me that your kids, oh, well, we didn't play. Yeah, no kidding you didn't play well because the other side whipped you. That's what mm-hmm. happened. Sometimes you just got to admit that as a coach. I don't know whether he wanted to do that or not, but clearly he didn't, but I thought it was tacky. Yeah. Yeah. Surprising. You play in the, that, sorry, Gilbert, uh, you play in the yeah. national championship game. I would think you'd have a huge portal boost, right? And, and I don't yeah. know enough about their roster, so I'm not saying they don't have talent. I know they do. Sure. But, but I, I would think that their defense would be better this year because they play the national title game and, and you get the number one D-end or the number one linebacker or whatever Something. from the portal. But maybe yeah. that didn't happen. Or maybe, again, I, I'm not a TCU recruiting expert. If they did get those guys, then you got to look at coaching because you say we got XYZ from the portal and it's not working. So some, some ain't right. Right, I feel like we've got to throw a little Steelers flavor into this somehow. Oh, right? <laughs> oh no. Okay, okay. Tomlin, Damn Steelers the, fans. One of the best, Mike Tomlin. It doesn't matter if his team loses, you know, 30 to 2, 30 to 3, right? He'll start off that press conference by complimenting the other team no matter what. You have to have that respect in the industry and apparently I didn't I didn't really hear what Sonny Dyke said, but you've got to compliment the other team for the way that they played. It's not all about you. Obviously, you've got issues on your team, but you've got to give credit where it's due. And Chris Absolutely. Kleiman complimented TCU. He I said, know. He said it would be a really good team. That you know, he said that's a great football team. You guys know that. And I was like, I don't think we do know that, Coach. But it's nice to do that. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, <laughs> but that's what classy coaches do. They they yeah. always do that. They always give credit to their opponent, whether you win, whether you lose. That's just mm-hmm. what. If nothing else, it gives confidence to your team, even if you blow somebody out. Hey, we beat a good football team. You hear it all the time. I mean, I don't know. Like I said, I can be honest. I I just thought it was tacky. Uh, Ryan Gilbert, Jay Nixon wants to know, is TCU becoming the football rival of Kansas State? Yeah, man, it's tough because KU is emerging as well. But if if KU wasn't, then absolutely. But, but yeah, you just see stuff like this from Sonny Dykes. They've now played three times in the last 365 days or so. And so, yeah, you look at some of the injuries and stuff, I don't – want to get into that specifically but was there a few dirty plays i mean maybe you know this is becoming a rivalry you know purple on purple and i'm here for it i think this was what we wanted when tcu joined the big 12 it didn't really happen for a while but 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 here we are right i'm here for it and and it's a good sign in my opinion for k-state's football program and the direction that it's going that it feels like there's more there's more there with each matchup it feels like there's something brewing with oklahoma state as far as you know, they pounded them in Manhattan last year, ugly loss in Stillwater, and they're kind of mad about that. TCU, there's kind of a rivalry there. We know Iowa State. We know Kansas. 
I think uh, when when teams have you circle on their calendar or, or really want to beat you, that means your program is is doing all right. Yeah. Well, I think it behooves K-State to want. I don't know if they have to be our biggest rival or anything like that because KU clearly will be that, uh, even when KU stinks. But the bottom line is it would behoove us to want to have TCU be a rival, if nothing else, just so we can dip our toe into the recruiting waters of the DFW area. Look, I live here, and I can be as biased and honest. The recruiting here is insane, and TCU gets it. I mean, they're here. If for no other reason they get guys to go there just because they're close, and, hey, it could be an hour away, but you're still in the DFW. Doesn't matter, man. So it behooves K-State to want to make this a little bit of a rival just for the simple fact that we can dip our toe in that this hotbed of recruiting ground here. I did I not think- have the over two and a half for number of times the word behoove was mentioned on this show. <laughs> it would behoove you to – it's going to be more often. Yes, yes. Uh, Brian nailed it. Uh, I think it's so crucial for this new conference when it gets to the 16 next year to start developing these interregional. Um, you know, of course, K State's going to be rivals with KU and Iowa State and Oklahoma State. Uh, but really beefing up maybe that bringing back a rivalry here with K State and Colorado mm-hmm. and TCU. Uh, I kind of thought that was working with West Virginia for a while, but it looks like they've kind of more Iowa State. I don't know. Uh, but I think once the conference develops, you know, BYU having a, a grudge match with Baylor every year, I, I think that's when the conference really gains roots is when Absolutely. it's just not about your your little neighborhood. It's about the whole city and and how much you hate each other or want to play each other. I, I think the conference could really thrive if they get to that. Yeah, in fact, I think you're I think you're 100 percent right, Fitz. Is it's it's always about the inner the the rivalries from within. Right. You know, not just your interstate rivalry. Those the, the it's the next level. It's right. always the next level. And the more that other teams can do it, because look, here's the thing. You look at a team like Utah, Utah is good. Yep. If Utah can get some sort of a rivalry and dip their toe into the Texas recruiting, I mean, how good is Utah going to be? They're already really good. Mm-hmm. You know, now maybe they're going to lose some of the recruiting that they do out West because, you know, with UCLA and USC leaving. But if you could transfer, I can tell you right now, you talk to their head coach, I guarantee you he gives up California recruiting to get into Texas. I guarantee yeah. he would do that in a heartbeat, just like any coach would. So I just think the conference is really set up to be good here and and be good here quickly uh, as soon as the next year as the other teams get in. Rivalries are fun and rivalries are healthy. I mean, sometimes they drive you nuts because there's a fan base that whatever, but rivalries are good for, for both sides of said rivalries, right? Guys, it's good for KU fans to be dancing on the, on the uh, league stats from K-State's secret scrimmage of men's basketball, right? It might not be good for them or their mental well-being to dwell on that much, but stuff like that is is healthy, right? And so uh, rivalries and opposing fan bases that don't like each other can be um, annoying or or frustrating or whatever. But it's it's what makes sports so special. The the two national TV games this upcoming weekend, as in on ABC and Fox, are KU Oklahoma and BYU at Texas, which mm-hmm. you know, should be a blowout. 
but that thing might get massive ratings with BYU fans. Absolutely. That's a little rivalry right there, but off they go. And I think the next, the next step for the big 12 is to develop their own, you know, their own like major game. And I have a feeling Colorado BYU with their national followings right now Mm. might be a very entertaining series coming up. Uh, But I, I also think Utah and, and BYU should be playing uh, at the end of every season just to beat the snot out of each other. Nothing says the holidays like some real <laughs> hatred within your own state. Yeah. I mean, the game is called the Holy War. Yes. I mean, <laughs> unbelievable. And they hate each. I mean, hate's a strong word, but they hate each other. And the game is the Holy War. It doesn't get any better than that. I, I say you schedule it on Thanksgiving and put it up against the Egg Bowl, uh, uh-huh. and you're going to win. I, you're going to win. I mean, they they actually might leave bodies out on the field. They hate each other so much. It's it's. I love getting to know these schools. It's been kind of amazing. Well, fellas, I appreciate it. Uh, Ryan Gilbert, thank you so much for sitting in on this session, uh, and I appreciate. We I think we've had the most like live viewers we've had so far. Um, you wonder Glenn, why? It, <laughs> we love you, Tim Everson, but you wonder why? Yeah, no. I mean, clearly you drove the female demographic. Um, <laughs> Because, uh, yeah, you, they, they want to laugh at you. But anyhow, uh, that's it for the insiders. For Brian Hanley, Glenn Kenley, uh, that Ryan Gills Gilbert guy, I'm Fitz, and we appreciate you watching. We'll be back next week with another edition. And make sure you're turning on your alerts so that you never miss an edition of the insiders. It, a little bell will go off. We all need a little bell. Thanks for listening. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app.